0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Lots of reaction after Donald Trump's day in court. The NDP attacks corporate landlords. We have a new analysis of health care wait times in this country. Learn which community could soon ban the pride flag and a new sports and entertainment giant. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. I never thought anything like this could happen in america never thought it could happen the only crime that i have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it this fake case was brought only to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election and it should be dropped immediately
0: welcome back to good morning hamilton on 900 chml rick Samprin with you well unprecedented court case involving former president donald trump is all coming against the backdrop of other investigations and his third campaign for the White House. And so what happens next... And that's really the juiciest of all questions, and there are a number of juicy questions to get to with our next guest. Jennifer Lawless, a law professor and an associate editor of the American Journal of Politics Science, who also holds an appointment as a non-resident senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, and joins us now on GMH. Jennifer, good morning. How are you? Good
2: morning. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Very interesting day in New York City, this Manhattan court, where the New York District Attorney basically is alleging that... Uh, the former president, committed these uh, crimes, uh, yet there are other crimes associated with it. We didn't get the details of those. What did you make of how everything played out?
2: Well, I think that the... 34 counts were exactly what everybody expected. What was unexpected was that the crime that they were apparently in furtherance of was not explicitly articulated. So anybody that was hoping they were going to get a lot of juicy information about exactly what these charges meant and the way in which Donald Trump used falsified information to commit another crime were obviously disappointed. But the reality is there are 34 felony charges and He was arrested and arraigned and is going to have to answer for them.
0: Do you think this is a misstep or a mistake from Mr. Bragg?
2: I don't. I'm a big believer in holding people accountable and the way that the justice system works means that things don't always play out in the order that you might want them to play out. So it very well may be the case that these charges are not as significant or as meaningful to a lot of people as what might come out of the federal investigation in the Department of Justice or what might come out of the grand jury that's meeting in Georgia. But the reality is New York got it done first and Donald Trump was charged with committing these crimes. And this is the way that it happened. I I don't think that, you know, we should assume that just because this one went first, it's going to shape the way that Georgia or the Department of Justice thinks about what it's doing.
0: The judge also decided that there would not be a gag order on uh, the proceedings. Uh, Mr. Trump trampled on a bunch of things that the judge had hoped he wouldn't, you know, dive into last night in his speech. Do you expect the gag order to be instituted fairly soon?
2: If not a gag order, then certainly one more very firm warning before a gag order. It was almost incredible because obviously there were no cameras in the courtroom, but there had been speculation ahead of time that Donald Trump would speak in New York as he exited the courtroom. The assumption was that he did not do so because of the judge's orders. Fast forward to 8 p.m., and it was not a in Donald Trump at all. It was not a Donald Trump who was in any way, shape or form trying to adhere to what the judge ordered. And so I would not at all be surprised if we hear from the judge again in the next day or so reprimanding him. Um, And if he doesn't implement the gag order, he'll come awfully close.
0: Could Trump's lawyers say, listen, uh, the gag order doesn't fly because that, that tramples on our First Amendment rights or at least the president's First Amendment rights?
2: So under ordinary circumstances, I think they could argue that. The problem in this case is that we know that when Donald Trump uses certain language, his voters and his base behave in ways that are actually dangerous and destructive. We need to look no further than January 6th. So I don't think this is a typical situation. I also don't think it's incredibly uncommon to put a gag order on proceedings like this. So we'll see what happens. The fact that he didn't do it right away meant that he obviously had concerns about the First Amendment and was affording Donald Trump a degree of respect and the assumption that he was gonna play by the rules. Donald Trump was not playing by the
0: rules. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Jennifer Lawless, professor of politics and public policy at the University of Virginia. We're talking about Donald Trump pleading not guilty to 34 criminal charges in New York. It's obvious that Mr. Trump is politically weaponizing this case. Do you think it's going to grow his base or shrink it?
2: I don't think that his base will move. Um, The people that have been Trump diehards from the beginning seem to have remained there. When he made that remark several years ago that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he wouldn't lose his base, he was obviously right. What I do think that he's doing is making it more difficult for the other Republicans in the field to differentiate themselves from him because he's framed the entire investigation, he's framed the indictment, the arraignment, all of these charges as a witch hunt. And so in a Republican primary, it becomes very difficult for Republicans to oppose his view and not look like they're siding with the Democrats. So although that won't necessarily grow his base, I think it does make it more difficult for the other candidates to chip away at the people who might be looking for a different candidate, but need to see a real difference and aren't going to have that opportunity.
0: Certainly is another uh, interesting day in the history of American politics. Jennifer, we're uh, ecstatic that you could join us for a few minutes and share your thoughts on this topic. Thanks for the
2: time. Thanks so much.
0: Jennifer Lawless, professor of politics and public policy at the University of Virginia in 2006. She sought the Democratic nomination for the U.S. House of Representatives in Rhode Island's second congressional district. And some really interesting things to say about what transpired in that New York City courtroom.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. And I never
0: thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. Well, some would beg to differ, Mr. Trump. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin, waking you up. More reaction to Donald Trump's not guilty plea following what was a monumental history making arraignment in a New York City courtroom. And while well, we dissect Trump's speech this well from his Mar-a-Lago resort, lots to unpack here with Brian Karam, political analyst for CNN, White House reporter, columnist for Salon.com, the Washington Diplomat, host of Just Ask the Question podcast. He's also an author of several books as well. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you? Good morning. <laughs> uh, your, rea- good. your reaction to what unraveled, first we'll, we'll focus on the courtroom, how it all unraveled yesterday in that New York City courtroom.
3: Well, I think you saw Donald Trump, uh, who couldn't control the narrative, um, much calmer in a courtroom than he was at Mar-a-Lago that night. Um, it, it unfolded pretty much as we thought it would. He was brought in, he was read the charges, he was told what he was up against, he made his plea, and he got out of there quickly, as quickly as he could pretty much what we thought would happen.
0: And so we see the real Donald Trump.
3: Yeah, this is a Donald Trump that we're used to. And, uh, you know, he played his greatest hits for his his crowd, uh, once again whining about how he's been picked on, saying, he, you know, when he says he didn't think it could ha- ever happen here, what he's really saying is he thought his privilege would protect him from being held accountable. And, you know, whenever they say stuff like, well, if they can go after Donald Trump, they can go after you yeah, that's called no one is above the law. So um, we we kind of knew what we were going to get from Donald Trump. Uh, still, it's frightening. And it's it, he was talking about nuclear war and the apocalypse. And um, it, it, he's become more apocalyptic. He's become more um, dangerous as he's cornered. And it's uh, I don't suspect that his rhetoric will get any less severe as this goes forward.
0: will it uh, you know apparently he's the front runner sh- shockingly and maybe not so much uh, of the Republican uh, nomination for the 2024 ticket. Do, do you think this is going to play in favor of him in in the months and maybe years ahead?
3: No. Donald Trump is going to spend the rest of his natural life uh, fighting in a civil in civil and criminal courts. Uh, Even if he lives to be 200 years old, which is what (laughs) Dr. Ronnie Cox predicted, (laughs) he's going to spend those years wound up in court. I don't think he'll be the nominee in 2024. He won't win in 2024. Donald Trump, is. this is the first of probably at least four indictments that he's looking at, plus a civil suit where they have an anonymous jury. Um, That will sap him of his strength. His base will follow him. For as long as he wants them to, but these are the same people who venerated David Koresh at Waco. These these are cult members, and I don't suspect. I suspect that um, in the end, Donald Trump will will uh, go out in a blaze of glory like David Koresh, and I hope he just doesn't take out you know many people with him when he does it.
0: The New York indictment. How do you think that will impact the future indictments? And and, you know, I'm pointing to the one in Georgia first and foremost because that's maybe perhaps the most severe one. Although the one uh, out of Washington slash Mar-a-Lago is also up there in terms of uh, potentially damaging to to the U.S. How do you see what happens affect the next ones?
3: Well, I think the real one he's got to worry. I look at it this way: if you're if you've ever boxed. It, 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 when you start boxing, the opening jab is what we saw in Mar-a-Lago, I, I mean in, in uh, Manhattan. That's the opening jab, which sets up a body blow, and I think the next one there will be Mar-a-Lago. That will be followed by you know an uppercut, which will be Georgia. I think the most dangerous one for Donald Trump is the haymaker, the one that will probably come last, and that is the one that has to do with the January 6th. Because if he's indicted for a seditious conspiracy, he cannot hold office. Uh, right now, all these others, even if he's convicted, he could still be president. And I got to say, part of me thinks it would be funny if he if he has to conduct a, you know, if he's running the country from behind a jail cell. But that's who am I? I'm just laughing <laughs> at it. But I mean, it'd be funny to see a cabinet meeting. You know, you've got to go down to jail cell number seven. I, I mean, I I just. Can't for the life of me it's it's almost you know a, a theater of the absurd production, but I think it's of those four, this is the opening jab, and we have to see where the others fall, and all of them are far more dangerous than this one. This all has to do with stuff that he did before he was president. The others that he's looking at all have to do with stuff he did while he was president, and there there's some very serious, very serious felonies involved in that obstruction of justice. Seditious conspiracy, all of them that could keep him behind bars for many years.
0: It is a uh, history-making arraignment, and uh, more history yeah. to be made, I'm sure, in the uh, in the months to come. Brian, thanks for spending some time with us this morning.
3: Sure, anytime.
0: That is uh, Brian Carum. He's the host of the Just Ask the Question podcast, White House reporter, author of the book, Free the Press, The Death of American Journalism and How to Revive It. And we appreciate his time here this morning. There was a very interesting uh, story that developed as well because there were some happy couples who were getting married in New York and apparently they had no idea that this was going down.
3: Brides and grooms in downtown Manhattan who headed to the courthouse to tie the knot, finding out that their
0: nuptials would be happening in the same court complex as the arraignment of former President Trump. Outside the courthouse, Jerrica Garrow was in a white wedding gown with two friends. I
3: only totally didn't know that on my wedding day that Trump was going to be here until last week.
1: After taking a look around, Jerica deciding not to linger after the nuptials. I'm
3: going to get married and then I'm going to leave and go do my
1: party. Her courthouse step wedding video co-starring police and protesters. Dave Packer, ABC News, New York.
0: Pretty funny, unless you are the bride.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: By jacking up the rents when they kick people out, it is a predatory system. It is a system that is absolutely based on taking some of the most vulnerable people in our community and trying to draw as as much money as they can out of them and then making their living conditions unlivable to displace them that is hamilton center mp matthew green going on the attack against corporate landlords in this community and beyond because as we know it is expensive not only to get into a home in this city but to rent a space in the city the average rent in hamilton for a one-bedroom apartment is now eighteen hundred dollars a month that is simply unaffordable for many in this community And so the NDP is calling on the federal government to crack down on corporate landlords in an effort to make housing more affordable for people in this community. Jenny Kwan is the NDP MP for Vancouver East and the housing critic for the New Democrats and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jenny, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Uh, You visited Hamilton yesterday and uh, basically expressed that we are on the front line of this country's housing crisis. What have you noticed here in Hamilton?
4: Well, I'll tell you, I've spoken to many of the uh, tenants here who are just struggling to pay rent and to keep uh, housing, a roof over their heads. And in some cases where people do have an apartment rented, the maintenance uh, is just not there. The housing conditions are deplorable. And so the crisis is absolutely real. And in fact, I would say that the housing crisis is happening all across the country. Now, here in Hamilton, there are over 6,000 people who are on a wait list to try to get into affordable housing. And in fact, um, there are some almost 16,000 units of housing lost. That was rented at $750 per month since 2011. And so now the rent, as you noted, has now gone up to $1,800 a month. It's just not affordable. So we need to make sure that the government, the federal government, uh, address the housing crisis and work collaboratively with all levels of government to ensure that people have a place called home
0: much of the discussion around affordable housing in this community and many other communities in this country has revolved around the lack of supply. So provinces, even the federal government has a national housing strategy to build more homes. But your focus yesterday was on corporate landlords. So what should the government be doing to uh, fix this problem in relation to what corporate landlords are doing?
4: Well, what we're seeing is that long-term renters, oftentimes by these corporate landlords, are being pushed out of their apartments. Uh, and just so that the corporate landlord can actually turn a bigger profit, housing costs actually went up 77% under the Harper Conservatives and by another 300,000 under the Liberals. So successive Liberal and Conservative governments have abandoned their resp- responsibility to invest in social housing and co-op housing and corporate landlords are profiteering off of housing and they're just you know doing this unchecked by the government so now real estate investment trusts enjoy preferential tax treatment and the seven largest real estate investment trusts alone have saved a combined 1.5 billion dollars through federal tax loopholes. The parliamentary budget officer just released a report this week and estimate that the federal government will lose another $300 million in taxes over the next four years. So you add all that together, that's close to $2 billion of lost revenue to the treasury, money that could be invested into housing. If the government took that money, for example, and and and, and created a nonprofit fund for nonprofits to use that money to construct and build uh, social housing, a co-op housing for the community, Or to use that money to purchase at-risk buildings that come into the market so we can hold on to the affordable housing stock, then you will actually have more housing available for the people in greatest need. The question here is not just um, uh, more supply. The question here is supply that is affordable, that meets the needs of the community. And that's what we need to get at. And so what the NDP is calling for is for the federal government to close the tax loopholes. No more free ride for the corporate landlords. They need to pay their fair share of taxes. They need to pay the corporate tax rate. And so that, the, that money, the revenue that they, that, 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 that the government is losing is being reinvested back into the housing
0: have got a couple more minutes with Jenny Kwan, the NDP housing critic and MP for Vancouver East, as we talk about the housing crisis in this country. As we know, your party supported the federal government's budget. It really did not address this housing crisis as, at all. As the housing critic, were you reluctant to offer your support?
4: Well, the NDP, of course, in the last budget, what we did was force the Liberals to actually acknowledge profiteering of housing is actually happening. And so the Liberals promised that they would address the financialization of housing. That's what it is, profiteering of housing is the financialization of housing. And so they said they would do something about it. Uh, I was disappointed that this budget, they didn't do anything. They didn't have any measures put in place. Um, You know, oftentimes to liberals, I got to tell you, you just got to be on top of them all the time to push them, to force them to take action. And so that's why I'm here doing this housing tour to say it's not good enough. You need to do better. We have a housing crisis across the country. People are dying on the streets because they don't have access to housing. Housing is a basic human right and not a commodity. And we need to treat it as much. So I'm doing a housing tour. Uh, From coast to coast, I'm stopping here in Hamilton because the housing situation is desperate here in Hamilton. And I want the Liberal government to actually do the right thing. Make sure that we address the housing crisis. The revenue that the corporate landlords are walking away with um, on the backs of tenants is not okay. And we need to say to them that we need to take that resource and invest in people. And we need to put people before profits. The other thing that I think the federal government sh- should do is to simply say, in this housing crisis, we need to stop, and put a moratorium on the financialization of housing, on the profiteering of housing, and say to these rental, uh, these real estate investment trusts that you cannot come in and sweep up these affordable housing properties anymore. Miss Guan will put have a to hold on it and to say we're going to stop this and make an ad- t- make sure that. This kind of stuff does not happen anymore.
0: We'll have to leave it there, Ms. Kwan. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for uh, joining us here and uh, appreciate the visit to Hamilton as well. Thanks for having me. Jenny Kwan is the NDP MP for Vancouver East and the party's housing critic chiming in on our housing crisis.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We know that many people are waiting way too long for surgeries and medical procedures. But there's a new policy brief out from SecondStreet.org that shows none of the 10 provincial governments have an analysis of how badly that these individuals are suffering. Colin Craig is the president of SecondStreet.org and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Colin, good morning. How are you?
5: I'm good, thanks. How are you, Rick?
0: I'm good. I can't ever recall, and I've been doing this journalism thing for well over two decades. I can never recall receiving a study or a policy brief that has no data attached to a request that has been made. How did this all
5: come about? Well, we've certainly seen lots of stories over the years of patients suffering while they're waiting for surgery. So we've seen stories about patients being concerned that they might go blind because they're not getting a procedure in time. We have saw a case from uh, British Columbia, a young boy named Walid, who had a, a spinal issue when he was born. And they said, look, if you don't get surgery in time, uh it's it's going to be serious you could be paralyzed and sadly that's what happened it took over 2 years before finally his mom got fed up waiting for the public system she took him to a private clinic and he got got a surgery done but by then it was too late and he ended up uh paralyzed uh, in the end so there's some very sad consequences that happen to patients because they have to wait so long in the healthcare system and we thought well what kind of analysis do governments have on this type of problem? And so we filed Freedom of Information requests right across the country asking governments for analysis that they have on the suffering that happens to patients while they're waiting for surgery and other health services. And not a single province was able to give us any kind of analysis. So obviously, that's uh, concerning for patients.
0: Well, it begs the question, too, if they don't know what the problem is or how these patients are doing, how do they even
5: address it? Well, exactly. Exactly. And that is a problem. And, you know, we don't think that governments need to start up a new major bureaucracy to manage every single case and, 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 you know, follow what's going on. But I think what they could do at the very least would be to survey patients from time to time and understand where the, you know, the types of suffering that's happening. And maybe it happens more so for certain types of waiting lists than others, and then that might be allow might allow governments to uh, potentially mitigate some of the uh, the uh, things that patients are going through. So, for example, if uh, patients who are waiting long periods to get their knees done seem to end up having mental health problems as a result, well, then maybe the government could make sure that you know those patients have the supports uh, available to deal with mental health. And certainly uh, the biggest problem to address is to make sure that waiting lists aren't long in the first place. And so our report talks about an option from Europe that could uh, provide uh, immediate relief to patients right across the country very quickly.
0: Wasn't that long ago that the provincial government here in Ontario said that private clinics would be able to um, do the same procedures that um, uh, public health care clinics would be, cataract surgeries would be a good example to lessen the load or, or get people off this list and get the surgeries and the procedures that they need, uh, you could still use your OHIP card. There's not going to be any extra charge to these patients should other provinces follow that, that way of thinking. Is this, could this be a you know a big factor in getting people the care that they need?
5: Uh, The short answer is yes. Yeah, that was a very good decision by the Ontario government. Uh, A lot of other provinces are already doing that. The the healthcare system, if you think about it, it, that's already an embedded feature every time you go and see your family doctor. Your your family doctor is not a government employee. They're running a private business. And so you walk in. in, uh, In the case of Ontario, you show your OHIP card. You talk to your doctor about whatever the issue is that you'd like to talk to them about. And when you leave, the government bills the uh, the public system, in, the, in your case, open. So it, it's the same thing for surgeries. And so it, it is good that Ontario is doing that. Uh, it was a, a move, I think, that was long overdue. Many other provinces do it to varying degrees, but that is one option. Uh, a bigger option, and a, a problem recently that Ottawa announced, was that they're going to increase waiting times. And, and they didn't tell the public that, but that's the consequences. They want to uh, they're financially penalizing provincial governments that allow patients to pay out of pocket for diagnostic scans if they don't want to wait for the public system. And so they're trying to discourage anyone ha- from having the right to use their own money for healthcare, care, which is something that no other developed nation on this planet does. And uh, by doing that, they're going to end up forcing more patients to dem- depend on the public system. And that's going to increase wait times. So I think that was a bad decision by Ottawa's part. And uh, if we had more freedom as citizens to uh, either use the public health care system or pay out of pocket at private clinics, well, that would take a lot of pressure off of the public system because some patients would decide to pay. And that's one way that we could reduce wait times in this country by... Uh, giving patients more choice.
0: There is a concern that some would be able to uh, hop over others in line, and that is a great debate, but we'll have to leave that for another day. You can check out the policy brief online at secondstreet.org. Colin, appreciate the time today.
5: Thanks a lot, Rick. always appreciate chatting.
0: Colin Craig, president, secondstreet.org.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: This is, to me, uh, there's a number of head-scratching stories that we cover on the show. Puzzling developments each and uh, every day. This one uh, hit me in a, different, in a different way because the community of Norwich, which is kind of near Woodstock, is uh, planning to ban all flags except those representing the official government. So the, the, the city's flag, the Canadian flag, the province of Ontario flag, those will all be okay, but things like the pride flag would be taken down. Politicians saying, well, it's all due to past clashes over the pride flag. Tammy Murray is the president of Oxford Pride Committee and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tammy, good morning. How are you?
6: Good morning. I am well. Thank you for having me this morning. What the heck is going on in Norwich? Well, we ask ourselves that a lot. Um, <laughs> I believe I think it. success. You know, I guess at the end of the day, I have to look at this through a lens of um, the Oxford Ca- County Pride Committee has, has grown and developed over the last eight years. And as we progress and have success, um, unfortunately, we are seeing some pushback. And, uh, unfortunately needing to continue to advocate, educate, um, in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: Last I checked was 2023. Like what is, what's the holdup? What's, what's the, what's the roadblock here?
6: Well, I think we all know what historically has been the roadblock um, in terms of oppression and marginalization with the 2SLGBTQA plus community, which is a religious uh, lens that is promoting propaganda and rhetoric, um, accusing us, actually the 2SLGBT community, of creating divide in the Norwich Township. Uh, and the rationale given currently is that in order to reinstore their safety and security, they need to abolish all other flags except for government flags, which is the irony here, because it is the government that oppressed and marginalized um, many of the groups that want to fly flags, like the indigenous uh, population, uh, Black Lives Matter, us, uh, the two LGBTQ uh, uh, community, AI community.
0: And so would the indigenous flag also be restricted or banned?
6: Absolutely. Yes, every flag would be banned except anything that is government issued. Um, And and I think the rationale that has historically been used, I don't know if you remember Diane Haskett in the 90s, historically that has been used, is that it creates an unbiased perspective of the townships. Um, In fact, it creates the opposite. Um, The other rationale I've been told is, well, if we fly your flag, we have to fly everybody's flag. That's absolutely not true. The flags that can be flown on government property are actually covered under our Charter of Freedoms um, and Rights. So it's not every flag. It would be the uh, flags of groups that have been marginalized by said government.
0: So their argument is, uh, listen, if we fly the pride flag, then, hey, we're, we're going to have to fly the uh, the Nazi flag or uh, maybe the Confederate flag. I mean, that's such a bogus argument.
6: Absolutely. Yes, it is. And one that we are going to challenge, uh, we are going to go to council on the 25th of April um, to reinforce and uh, validate uh, Councillor Stubbs' motion, which is obviously to fly the flag and proclaim uh, pride june 1st in norwich township
0: our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml tammy murray president of the oxford pride committee that community uh in uh, in norwich is planning to ban all flags except those representing the official government so that would be as tammy mentioned the indigenous flag the pride flag would be banned from being flown if this goes ahead do you still plan to fly the flag
6: Well, I I can tell you that the community members will, um, you know, and again, I think if you remember last summer, part of this discord is as a result of vandalism and hate crimes in Norwich, um, meaning ripping down banners and flags. Uh, We went through about 100 flags last year as a committee, um, just replacing flags that were torn down. Um, So I think, you know, the community will advocate and uh, um, activate, I believe, Uh, the United Church downtown Norwich. Norwich is very supportive, and they will be flying our flag on their property, which is not municipal property. Um, And remember, all of this started actually from a banner, not a flag. It was a banner uh, that the BIA downtown Norwich, um, three of them actually, uh, put up to uh, promote diversity, inclusion, and equity in the community.
0: I understand that no one wants to see property damage, but really hiding these symbols um, is not a solution. I mean, how are we ever going to grow as a society?
6: Exactly. Well, and we know that uh, symbols like flags and like crosswalks—they um, educate, and they also, uh, I think, are an invitation to um, to that diversity into communities. And that's where we're at in 2023. Um, there's no more ignore, ignore, you know, no more tickboxing diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's now action time. We've been tick boxing for a long time, um, and I feel like this is just another way to tick box, um, given the other recommendation from the exact same counselor who wants to no longer fly the or no, have no flags ris- uh, risen, also wants to start a DEI committee, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is an absolutely opposing perspective. You cannot have a DEI, DEI committee and not fly the flags that support diversity, equity and inclusion.
0: Seems to me he's trying to fill two buckets at the same time, and it's just not working for that individual. Uh, Another minute with Tammy Murray, president of the Oxford Pride Committee. Um, I read that another counselor has introduced a motion to proclaim June Pride Month in Norwich. So does that mean that there is not currently an official Pride Month celebration in the community?
6: Uh, we have one in Oxford County. Um, so typically our events happen throughout the county. Uh, the challenge is is that um, to do events in that particular area of the county, unfortunately, is not safe. We experienced that when we pushed back last year um, uh, in terms of some threats. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Our story time, we just did a drag story time uh, about a week ago, and our Woodstock Public Library received erroneous vets, again, um, uh, Against it. And we had about 20 individuals from said community show up and attempt to protest. In fact, they attempted to fill the seats prior to anybody arriving. Um, and thankfully, we had about five times more community allies show up and they were silenced very quickly.
0: Wow. Love and acceptance should always trump hate. And uh, it seems like in Norwich, it's the other way around and they have it ass backwards, if I can be frank. Tammy, appreciate your time this morning. Good luck with this fight.
6: Thank you so much, and I appreciate your time, and uh, thank you for having us today. You got it.
0: Tammy Murray, president of the Oxford Pride Committee. That is just a disheartening series of events. Not only is there property damage, but banning the flag. Uh, Just saying, no, you cannot celebrate in the way that you want to do so. Just (laughs) absurd. Absolutely absurd.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: This might put a smile on your face because it is a gargantuan deal in the business, sports, entertainment field. Two titans uh, under that umbrella have decided to, well, come together and form a tag team. WWE, yes, World Wrestling Entertainment, and UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, are getting together together to, well, do what they do best, that is entertain sports fans and uh, keep them hooked on not only great storylines when it comes to WWE, but intense competition with the U.S. Uh, UFC. Here to talk about it is uh, Jay Rosenthal. He's the co-host of The Peak Daily, who uh, joins us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, good morning. How are you? Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I heard you guys talk about this on uh, The Peak Daily, and you can read uh, The Peak uh, online at readthepeak.com, about this a huge deal between these two sports entities.
7: Give us some details of how this all came together. Well, I think in some cases you're putting the word "sport" sports in parentheses. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, it, it's really unbelievable, but I think it really speaks to the value of what people need to see live. And what people need to see live is less and less, right? But they do need to see sporting events live. And that's why UFC has such a big following and such a big draw. And WWE has its own audience and I think it maybe the overlap of the audience is actually quite small between WWE and UFC. But it is a big deal. People do watch it. The community is huge. And there was uh, almost a bidding war, really, for WWE and UFC and the company that owns it, one. And it is a very big deal, you know, billions and billions of dollars. And it is interesting to see where the world of entertainment, streaming, live is going. And I think we'll see some huge numbers when UFC um, sort of puts everything out for bid and sees who wants to pick it up as a traditional sort of, Cable or is it going to be some sort of startup uh, streaming service because I think it is uh, where the world is going when hmm. it comes to how we consume sports and entertainment. So it is interesting to watch and also fun because obviously UFC is very, very real and WWE and I don't want to burst anybody's bubble who might be uh, uh, still under the illusion that WWE is real, but it's that's fake don't want to break any news this morning, but that is not real. (laughs) You just broke the hearts of many wrestling fans, I'm sure. Um,
0: So Endeavor, which is the company that owns UFC, has acquired WWE for $9.3 billion. But you mentioned that there were other companies interested in buying the WWE. Who else was looking at the World Wrestling Entertainment?
7: Well, some some big names that you will certainly have heard of, Dis- Disney and Amazon and even Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, they were all reportedly interested in buying the business, which did like over a billion dollars last year. So uh, it is really a-, a juggernaut, WWE, but they were having, let's just say, some problems with their majority stakeholder, Vince McMahon, who was, had just come back from a leave of absence uh, on some, uh, uh, some disrepute about his management, let's just say. It's a good way to put it. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> yes, yeah, very, very, very much along the lines of what WWE is, but but it really, um, you know, it is it is a very valuable brand and property that um, will be interesting to see what what Endeavor does with it. Just like it's very interesting what they do with UFC, which both really are juggernaut with lots of longevity as well. I mean, it's unbelievable. We're still talking about Vince McMahon and WWE, which used to be WWF, which we watched religiously as a very small child, and I am not young, Rick. Uh, Hey, I was with you. Early
0: 80s, up until about the early 90s, I was one of the many of the millions who were hooked on the WWF at the time. You know, whether it was WrestleMania or SummerSlam or you name it, uh, there was millions of Hulkamaniacs and other wrestling fans uh, around to to cheer things on. Uh, Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML, Jay Rosenthal, the co-host of The Peak Daily. You can read The Peak Daily online at readthepeak.com. You mentioned Vince
7: McMahon. Does he have a role in this new entity? Uh, I really hope not. (laughs) <laughs> I guess we will see. Maybe as a personality, certainly not as a management, I would think. Okay. Um. But but I think it's hard to picture the WWE without some sort of McMahon family drama going on. Um. So I guess we will see what Endeavor does with it. But he has really has been for a very long time part and parcel of the brand. So it'll be interesting to see how it sort of transitions him out or transitions him in, out of management, but into the storyline. I guess we'll see.
0: Interesting to note that when this announcement came down, and I'm not sure if this is you. Usually, the case when these kind of mergers come down. We only have about a minute to, to discuss this, mm-hmm. but shares of WWE and Endeavor actually closed down on Monday. They rebounded afterwards, and were
7: both up yesterday. Uh, do you get the sense that investors like this move? I don't know. I would uh, going to use a term for both. I would never count them out um, because I think uh, it's yet to be seen, sort of how it's going to roll out. I think. Both properties, once they're sort of there's a bidding for who will carry them and sort of those licensing deals and streaming deals come out, I think we'll see lots more information and uh lots of interest from investors because I think that's really where their money will be made, much like it is in other live sports, right? Whether it's major league baseball, NFL, or others. I mean, sports do need to be uh, viewed live or best viewed live, I guess. And it's a question mark, I guess, around WWE if it needs to be viewed live. But um, I do think it will be uh really the future of the deals they sign and where you will catch these uh, sporting events that will really uh, say a lot about where and how they will either find synergies or mark up the price. And so I guess we will see sort of the streaming service or network or cable, and, and that will sort of speak to what investors are really excited about.
0: For the uh, biggest business stories on the planet, go online, com. Jay, appreciate your time this morning. Have a great one.